This podcast was produced by newleonard.com. The Pursuit of Podcast, a purely guest-centric show focusing on people and organizations that advance positive change. Positivity can be anywhere, and in a time of vast discord, the pursuit of is finding those who champion its causes loudest. Join us as we sit and learn about the pursuits of local leaders in their community. Let's go. Hello, good people, and welcome to the Pursuit of Podcast, where it's truly not us, it's you. I'm Ryan Buck, Artist Development, New Leonard Media. With me is the boss, Mark Wilson, President, New Leonard Media. How are you? Hey, Ryan, how you doing? It's a wintry day. Yeah, I'm doing great. We got a couple volts out in the driveway. That's Uh, enough about us. The chat, chat, chat. More importantly, today, our guest is Andy Gale, Founder, President, and General Manager, Bark Bay Area Recycling for Community. You got it right. Is that okay? Typically, yeah. I check ahead of time, and I just realized we went right in. But as far as the title, and we're going to get to the name, but your title, is that correct? Yeah. Founder, yep. Executive director at this time. Okay. And also the president of the board, which is a little bit unique as far as organizations go. But I'm looking forward to like not being either one of those and maybe just being the guy that pushes the broom someday and don't have the stress of having to keep it all together. Okay. See, that's one of the best intros possible. And you've got a metaphor going. So I started asking a question recently that I just kind of like. So I'm going to try this again. Sure. And it has to do with you. You're at a social engagement. You're at a party. Yeah. Right? We're doing that again. So you're at a party. Yep. Could be social, could be business. And somebody comes up to you and says, what do you do? What's the party version? Oh, the, the what's elevator. The, what's the party version the, yeah. of, of what do you do? So if someone came up to me and asked me that question, I would say I do recycling and we have a recycling organization and our goal is to keep things out of the landfill. And as a nonprofit, we're here to, you know, fill in those gaps where the community might not have the ability to recycle something like a couch or a construction materials like windows or things like that. And so we fill in those gaps. And then there's companies that are for-profit, you know, that might come in. Like when we first started, we were the only ones taking the three through seven plastics. And then GFL, you know, big company, used to be American Waste. They stepped in and started taking those three through seven plastics. Mm -hmm. And then we just throw our hands up and say, great, you know. I think I told my lawyer when we first started this organization, she said, what are your goals and objectives? And I said, someday I hope that someone will put us out of business because everyone else in the community is getting it done and we're really not needed anymore. So that was kind of a weird way to- So your goal (laughs) was entropy. Entropy, Like to the point of non-existence. Yeah, perhaps. But I didn't really believe that that would happen, and I still don't. I still think that there's lots of places <laughs> inside there, and I, I yeah. love the experimental process of it. Someone brings us corks, for instance, and we start throwing corks into a 55-gallon barrel, and then yeah. what are you going to do with the corks, Andy? I don't know. You right. Know? <laughs> and then when the corks are piled up too much, or whatever it is, glass or food waste or whatever, then you're kind of forced to find that market, that downstream market that's going to take that stuff from you. Yeah. And then- kind of let it develop itself. Typically, I'll follow up with, after the party response, you've got a semicircle around you, so you've got a few folks engaged. Mm-hmm. And then what do you say? And I think like that is enough to be like, all right, so my next question is typically, what kind of questions do you get? And are they typically good ones? So they are. Um, there's never a bad question when someone's trying to Find out more about recycling, if you ask me, because there's lots of information out there in different ways, and it's always great to cross someone's path that's interested in it. So the main question is, what do we recycle? What do you recycle? 
Interesting. And I say everything. And, and, and this is true. And anybody doing a cursory look into what you do, and we'll get to that later, it's astounding. And yeah, I think it drives my board and staff a little bit crazy that we we're spread thin. You know what I mean? We're an organization that doesn't operate always in the black. Um, and so as we go through, there's always like the question, like, should we be trying to recycle this? And it's like, yeah, we are. You know, let's figure out how to make it work, create the business right. model out of it, and then let it go into the next thing. But you know, we do say no to some things. Yeah. But there's not a lot that people ask, like, can you recycle this? Like most things have you know, a recycling market. Right. Except for like videotapes. Oh, the, interesting. Uh, yeah. We haven't really been able to find that. And anyone, and I get a phone call about once a month, can you recycle all our old VCR tapes or people have A lot of us it. who still have them uh, aren't giving them up. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> you know, we have a resale so, store. I guess so if, in a way, good to know. So if you, if you have stuff that's like an old movie, like, I don't know, Snow White or something, we have a resale store for reuse of yeah. it, but we haven't really found a company. There's there was some value in some of them. Sure. There's like the silver material that's in them, but the chemical to get it out of it isn't really no, worth the, it's not. The, the value of what you well, get out of it. Well, speaking of being in the black, yeah. this is fascinating. And I love how you articulated that because from the website, I think a, a recent blog, quote, the consistent generation of surplus revenue through recycling has proven to be a real challenge. And this has led to, and we'll get it out of the way right at the top, a new name. Yeah. Because I've been used to saying a different C at the end of B-A-R-C. Yeah, it used to be charities. And that would and confuse so, a lot of people. Sometimes we get phone calls like, do you only recycle for charities? And you'd have to go through the iteration of trying to explain it to Okay, them. so the corniest question I'll probably ask and the easiest one, what brought about the name change and what did it actually take to facilitate it? Was it just switching the lights? We definitely were lucky that we could find another name with a C in it because BARC is sort of our acronym there. Is that true? It is, yeah. Were you really? Okay, So that, that was that was helpful that that was there. But I always tell the story, when I originally did my first Excel spreadsheet, this is me sitting on my couch in 2007, like, and I'm plugging in the numbers of what we can recycle and how much the value in the revenue stream and then trying to guess at the, at the uh, you know, expense stream of it. And then you carry it, you take that first month, and then you, you multiply it by 1.05 or something, you know, for a little bit of growth. And then you start reducing it for year two to maybe 2% growth or mm -hmm. something. And then you get down to the bottom of the spreadsheet at the end, the last page. And I thought, holy shit, like we have so much money. Like I'll either be on a yacht somewhere <laughs> if this works, like you know what I mean? Uh -huh. Or we need to be able to do something with this money. And some of the things that inspired me to do it as a nonprofit originally were these nonprofits that I was coming across, like Wings of Wonder was a great one. And that was one of the things, when I moved from Chicago land to Traverse City, I quit my job and I was done with that industry. It was the construction industry, so they were kind of done in yeah. 2007 anyways. Yeah. I thought, well, when I was a kid, we used to raise falcons and owls, and we wow. sort of like were in the community, yeah, so people would, get an owl that would fall out of a tree and they would bring it to my house. And I'm the youngest out of eight kids. And so we nurtured owls and hawks and sent them back so off. I was the wondering why you would want to move here to yeah. start a nonprofit to help and restore injured birds to the wild. Yeah, that's where it all kind of started. And I, I saw Rebecca from Wings of Wonder and I saw the measly amount of money that she pays herself, which was like a couple thousand dollars. And I thought, well, here's someone that's doing this awesome work. Wouldn't it be great if there was a way to generate revenue and give it back to community and, and give it back to the charities 
in whatever form, writing a check was our goal. Right. And we've written some checks, and we do support a lot of nonprofit organizations. They're a startup, and they, they're going to do a 5K run, for instance. Like, we'll give them free services and free compostable wares. And it usually comes out to about $25,000 a year that we sort of push yeah. out there. Yeah. But it never got to the place where we had profitability. And I know we're a nonprofit, but we never had that profitability mm -hmm. to where we could sit down with the board. And I always thought it would be fun. Like the biggest thing we have to talk about at the board meeting is who are we going to support in the community? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it just never transpired. And we kind of realized after 15 years that our place in community was community. And that was where we wanted to put our efforts and energy. And we changed it to Bay Area Recycling for Community a few yeah. weeks ago. And uh, yeah, that's sort of how it transpired. And not to sound trite, I mean, I'm sure if, if, if the last letter didn't serve B-A-R, I mean, I'm sure you would have worked well, it out. Well, if it was an it's, F, it's, I was going to negate it. You know, it wasn't going to Okay, happen. true. Barf, you know, <laughs> just Foundation doesn't, right. doesn't work, but yeah. it, it's, it's, it does sound like that's very intentional and it should have been that way all along. And community isn't just a word that people throw around mm -hmm. and what you do yeah. is and for and allows the community to participate, Absolutely. which is inspiring. Yep. And you do so much. We talked about all the things, and I love how open you are about that because the blog and the website that talks about the name change is very transparent. It's yeah. very open. Yeah. And I like hearing that. Like, it didn't work. We're doing this, and it's a better fit. Yeah. Because evolving is what you need to do. Absolutely. So you offer so much, and it sounded like to get you onto the yacht, right? And it yeah. should have been easy. Why not use you? Yeah. Because you do different things. What's the reverse? Why not? Why not use Bark? Yeah. That's a good question. I think that we do certainly fill in a place within the community because of the fact that we're not afraid to take on some challenging items. We grew a little bit by acquisition back, you know, 2010 to 2014 by purchasing a, a freight company. So we had our own control over the semi-trucks and trailers of material moving around. We bought an um, electronics waste company and brought them into the fold, and we bought a mattress recycling company. And that was really a game changer for us. When I found out that someone locally, and they were up in Gaylord, could recycle mattresses, I would store them in my barn until my wife told me that I wasn't allowed to do that anymore. And, and I, and <laughs> I think this is fascinating, because you talk about this in detail. So, Mark, this is what happens. He starts storing cedar? Yep, up in cedar. Uh, okay. Have you so, heard the story before? So you, you, I don't tell it very often. 10 mattresses, and yep. his wife is just curious. It gets up to 60, and she asks a question. Yeah. So this is a wonderful human being. Yeah, she's very <laughs> With patient. tolerance and, and clear understanding of you, because at 10 mattresses, I think at two, my wife would have been like, what's happening? Yeah, what are you doing? What's the plan? So she asked the question <laughs> at 60, Yeah. and there you have it. Yep, and that was just about enough to fit into one of our longer trailers, and we would drive it up to Gaylord and offload it. And this guy had a team of people that would cut those mattresses open with a utility knife and pull the materials out. And he had some really interesting equipment to dismantle the mattress, like this pallet shear, which is basically a hydraulic thing that on the box springs, there's metal springs that are attached to wood. And so what it does is it shears those two things apart. And if you try to do it by hand, it's like an hour to, to take just that. A, just that apart. And so, so, and then he said, I'm done. I'm going to retire. I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just going to give it up. And I said, okay, well, let's talk about what was that you needed to have to get paid for it. And basically we bought his equipment. It didn't cost us. And he gave us all of the customers and the information that he had as goodwill with no charge. We took over recycling. And then I think we got a call three years later of somebody doing a, a report that we were the third largest mattress recyclers in the United States. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. 
And we do about 15, 12 to 15,000 mattresses a year right now, which it's is staggering, which is a football field stacked about 15 feet high. And there are only about 20 of them in the country, right? Yeah, I'd say it's about, about right. What would it take to become the number one? That's a great question because what it would take is some investment in the machinery of taking these things apart. Right. One person can take four mattresses apart an hour on average, 15 minutes of mattress. With there's the, so with much the more inside, right? Yeah, there's all kinds of great products inside. There's steel, there's wood for the box springs. And then inside of the mattress is a yellow foam, poly foam. Mm -hmm. And that has a good market. We bail that stuff up and ship out once every month or two, a whole semi-load. But it's got to take a ton of it to be worth to send, right? Yeah, 20 tons on a semi-truck. Can you find how many of these other companies are nonprofits that have community in their name? You know, like, you know, that's a good question. I feel like we could make that push and get you to number one. I think we can too, because especially since we just got a half million dollar grant. That would, that's we just what gotta, we'd hope for. Yeah. If we could make that happen for anybody, that'd be amazing or help make that happen. But yes. We got a half million dollar grant just now from Eagle, which is the nice. old DEQ, yeah. to modernize our mattress recycling process. So we just right. started a couple of weeks ago in that process. And that'll take us from 15,000 mattresses, potentially up to 60,000 mattresses a year, which is actually only 15% of what we dispose of in Michigan. So you'd need five more of these facilities with this equipment to just take care of what Michigan produces and used mattresses that go to landfill. It sounds like, I don't know, for somebody who's less motivated, the worst thing you'd want to deal with, somebody's mattress, somebody's stuff like that, your yeah. mentality, what does it take to have that kind of some hard workers to want to do that. I mean, but for yourself, it started there. Yeah. So why haul 10 mattresses into your barn? Well, each mattress is one cubic yard. So every mattress you put in your barn is a cubic yard that stays out of the landfill. So there's a good reason to do it. There's value in it. The landfills don't want mattresses. When they get like a whole bunch of mattresses at one time, they can't compact it down and they actually lose equipment sometimes like hundred $200,000, $300,000 pieces of equipment that will roll over in a landfill and destroy the equipment. And so they don't want it. So it's a kind of the perfect product for us to, to try to recycle, even though it does have lots of different materials that are on the mattress. Right. I think we counted 15 liquids that can be on a mattress, but we don't have to talk about that today. There's, I found out that I was, there's two types of people in the world, though. There's people that like to talk about that, and there's people that yeah. don't like to talk about well, okay, I so. know that all that they have on the outside is Mountain Dew and chocolate. Is that true? Yeah. Yep, that's, <laughs> that's exactly true. Mountain Dew. Yeah, that's what most of the guys, and that's what we call it. Like, this one's got a lot of chocolate on it. Let's get it, uh, get it out of here. Oh, no frosting. Yeah. But I did refrain earlier from asking when, when it was like, a barn full of mattresses. Like, how do we calculate how many skin flakes are in that barn? You know, I'm sure you can do a, a small <laughs> several people's how many, worth. Of how many, how many pounds of dead cells? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot, and you know, it's really a gross thing to do when you think about it. Yeah. And then the guys that do the cutting, these hard workers that work for Bark, the first week they're out there with gloves on and a little bit of leery of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. After about a, a month. They're not really wearing gloves anymore. And then I'm going to tell you, after about a year, they're not really even washing their hands before just, lunch anymore. They're just setting their sandwich down on the mattress. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say they're in the nude maybe by that point and just yeah, they're, didn't care. They're taking naps it's on them. <laughs> you mentioned a little bit about your history and you graduated from Colorado State University, degree in construction management. Yes. And prior to founding Bark, you were in commercial sales for a good while. You talked about that. Yeah. But 
at whatever point, what was the dream, the plan, and the reality? Wow, that's a good question too. When I was, and I was just telling Mark this before we got started, when I was with Trust Joyce and I was with him for 17 years, made a lot of money. It was a good job. And when you make money, you spend money and you buy crap and you put it in your garage and it becomes part of you. And my wife and I were planning on starting a family. We were out in California at the time and we decided to quit our jobs. Here's a whole nother side story. We actually took a year off and, and bought an RV and traveled around the country for a year before we landed back in Chicago. You did? Yeah. Albert Brooks and Julie Haggerty style. Yeah. Ever, wow. Have you ever seen that, oh, yeah. that movie, Lost yeah, in America? Yeah, I think we watched it right before. It's a cautionary. Left. Okay, <laughs> yeah. and you did it anyway. That's awesome. Yeah. And you're still together. Yeah, it was my wife and I and, and two amazing. dogs. That was our test to see if we would be able to survive a long-term marriage, right? Wow. And so 26 Mo years now. Most people just do like Ikea furniture together or something. Yeah, no. That's usually <laughs> enough. Yeah. <laughs> usually more Took than it to the enough. next level. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So we got back and when the construction industry started to taper off around 2005, we were actually, we traveled back here to Traverse City and we went on vacation for a week. We were driving back to Chicago and I said, here's a thought. Why don't we live in Traverse City where everyone retires and enjoys the beautiful outdoors and all these amenities? And then we'll go back to see my family in Chicago one week a year. So yeah. that's that's what we did. We moved up here, didn't have a job, kind of you know looked around and soul searched for a few weeks. Well, the bird situation didn't work out because there was somebody else here, but it yeah. still inspired you yeah, in, it was, in the right way. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I had this extra time and we had to move out of Illinois in haste and we we packed everything and like some things were just in, in garbage bags, you know what I mean? Clothes and we're just, we had to move out because our house sold so fast. And we got here. So I spent the first couple of weeks kind of going through all those bags and sort of minimizing, like, what do we really need? And I set up all these recycling bags. I even had them sorted out by the numbers. Like here's all the number ones and here's all the number twos. And, and then I took them out to the curb. And then when the garbage truck pulled up, I peeked out the window, you know, like we do, right? Mm -hmm. He threw a couple of bags into the recycling and then the other ones went into the garbage. And I went out there and I said, I don't mean to be that person, but like, why is, doesn't this other plastic, it has a little triangle on it. It has a little number on it. It says it's recyclable. And that was the first person to explain to me that there weren't markets for it. And so I went back inside and started to research my computer. There weren't markets for it. Well, that's a pretty profound response. Right. Just at that level. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it could have been like, I don't know. You're only as good as your downstream markets. So the downstream is like, you've got metal. Metal's an old material that we've been recycling for a long time, I think since about the Bronze Age. And so that there's three places here in Traverse City, like Padnos is one of them, and you can take your metal there and get recycled. Yeah. Paper, being in Michigan with all the trees, there's paper mills around here. There's good markets for paper. That's your downstream. That's what we call downstream. We ship it to PCA, Packaging Company yeah. of America down in Manistee. And then plastic though, if you can get 40,000 pounds of clean number five plastic, which is your yogurt container, but you got to have it only that number and only yogurt containers, and you got to get 40,000 pounds on a truck, and then you might have to ship it a thousand miles to get it somewhere. And you could probably get paid on it, but you don't have the labor or the ability to sort it out to that level. The intricacies of what you're talking about are far-reaching. You even talked about shipping, yeah. which I know has impact into how you can operate the mattress recycling, e-recycling. But it sounds like this is something you were propelled by and not just, you're comfortable with a Falcon, by the way. We just breezed right over that. Yeah, but, <laughs> there's a whole other conversation. So you were inspired at a young age to this pursuit by your dad, right? Who would pick you up and 
take you to junkyards and you would sort out things. So this started early. Is that true? Yeah, I think my dad was a general contractor. And so he had a construction business and he would take my brother Danny sometimes out of school and tell the office we were going to the dentist and put us on a job site and say, okay, the electrician just finished up and the drywallers (laughs) are coming this afternoon. So you need to get all this stuff cleaned up. We would throw things into the dumpster that was there. and, And this is in Wheaton, Illinois, I remember. And he would come over and say, oh, no, this two by four, you know, is longer than 12 inches. And so we're going to keep all those for blocking. And then we'd have a bucket of those little electrician, the little knockouts. And he'd say, okay, we're going to recycle that. So I think my first experience of recycling was my dad helping me learn how to sort construction material. And, And not that you need to say when this was, but you were young. Yeah. And that was fairly forward thinking at a time. I think so. You know, because I'm from that area as well. Are you? And in learning about all of this through a lot of nonprofit business who do things for our earth and for our community, I keep thinking, I don't remember this. I don't remember this. I don't remember this growing up. Yeah. And I definitely don't remember it for my folks. Yeah. So that was the first start. What were you? Oh, I was just going to say that I'm really happy to hear that when you took the electricians, those knockout pieces that they didn't go straight to vending machines to try to I was going to say, my dad used to pay us in those little knockouts. And there, there were a lot of bubblegum <laughs> machines that were jammed up in, oh. in Schaumburg, Illinois. Oh, in arcades too. Oops, yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't my mean father-in-law and, ran an no, arcade No, no, that's a good point. No, there, <laughs> yeah. were, there were some machines that got jammed up because he used to pay us in those coins. Yeah, he used yeah. to say, you can keep all of the quarters uh-huh. on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But he'd take us back to school and give us five bucks and tell us not to tell mom that we weren't in school for half the day. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of an interesting way to grow up. And so he definitely had an impact on that part of it. And, you know, my dad grew up in an orphanage near Niles, St. Mary's, and it was a Catholic orphanage. And being born just before the Depression, I think that that was sort of the culture of, like, the way it was. You kept everything and you used that little yeah. block of wood and right. you made sure that you used the metal. And then I think somewhere around the 50s, we kind of changed because the plastic became very prevalent. And so this technology was there and the garbage trucks started to show up and the world changed in that way. You used a word, it's going to come up and probably in frustration, maybe from my end, but convenience will come up quite a bit. Yeah. But I want to shift if it's okay to composting. Sure. Because it seems to be a point for you right now of pain, excitement, possibility, tension, you're over it. You had to stop doing composting in May mm-hmm. due to equipment, staffing challenges. Yep. So you've got wait lists for composting. What is, what's going on with composting right now? So food waste composting is a difficult thing to deal with. I'll tell you that much. So talk about learning curve. We had an excellent person, Alex Campbell, who uh, came to work with us back in 2009, I think. One of our first workers and was with us for a long time. And had a real passion for keeping food waste out of the landfill. We grew. I mean, we started off using a pickup truck and a small trailer. And we got some grant money early on, but we kind of grew it on our own dime as it was. And then it just, you know, after COVID, it just got to be really difficult to deal with the contaminations that were in it. And so sometimes contaminations could be like the rubber gloves that get thrown in there, you know, or someone throwing a water bottle. But we introduced also compostable wear material and compostable wear material looks like plastic, you know, and it's a paper cup. And then when we take it out to a farm and the wind blows and it goes over that line to the neighbor's yard, then there's complaints and it just, it's fraught with challenges. It's a really difficult thing. I don't know if we'll ever get into composting again. What I want to get into is being a food waste processor. 
I believe that most of the challenges can be fixed in that process of collecting it, being the hauler, mm -hmm. and then doing a quick sort of that material, even the compostable wear materials, and even plastic. It can go into a process where it can be turned into a carbon material right. and then reintroduced back into the soil. And so there's all kinds of potential. I was really saddened when we had to quit when Alex took another job, which he went to go work for Food Rescue, which is awesome. Oh, wow. It's kind of a dream job for him. I so think. And not to stop you there, but we've talked about staffing a couple of times. Yeah. That is an example of staffing impacting yeah. significantly a service, a service in a way. So definitely the composting. That is not something that's for everyone. It's a difficult job. And you got to pick that stuff up Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And if you, you haven't talked about any easy jobs, just FYI, maybe from my There's really no easy jobs. Far, but you said the word convenience yeah. earlier. Yeah, and that's we'll one get of the there. Things, and, and it won't, but again, it's maybe of the easiest jobs. It's one of the least. I would say it's the least desired. I think it's not a bad job with the right equipment. You put on a nice hat and go out there and you got bins. And when we used to do it by hand, very difficult on the back. And then we got a bin tipper and we got a dump truck and that really saved some time and energy. The next thing that we're fundraising for is a, an organic truck. It looks like a garbage truck with a side load. And I think it's not that difficult of a job at that point, but then sorting it, that's another challenging thing that we have to do. I like your perspective on that. You sound like my wife who says there's no bad weather, only bad clothing. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, you just got to dress differently. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. I've not heard that one yet. That's really good. That is. Well, she's Swedish descent, you understand. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Practical. <laughs> Practical. <laughs> Trying to gauge your energy on the composting thing based on your answer. So, okay. What would you need to take it to the next level if it's something you do want to do so with? Everything's money, my friend. Yeah. Okay. And there's great composters. You know, Kroll's composting, and he's doing a thing today, a big event, teaching people about food waste composting. Kroll's composting in Leland County, Nine Bean Rose does a good job. There's plenty of places of people that have that equipment and the desire to turn it back into a good humus, good compost. I, I have a landfill question. Yeah. Is there ever any issue of no organics getting to the landfills? Is there a balance that they need to break other things down or? No, you do not need to have organics in the landfill. Organics, when it breaks down, turns into methane. 80% of that methane is already off-gassed into the atmosphere before they get that cover before over the top of the landfill, it. Right. before they capture it. No. So it's good that they're capturing that last percentage <clears throat> of it. But nope, landfill is kind of designed to just sort of be there and it doesn't like help anything break down that, that I know of. Okay. It's best to keep everything organic out of there. That includes paper, cardboard, wood, and yeah. food waste. All right. You know, most of the stuff that goes into a landfill is that level of organic material. All right. Well, the challenge has to be that the composting does fit within what you do, your model. Mm -hmm. Many things could, almost everything could. Yeah. So you talked about being spread too thin. Because I'm talking to you and I'm seeing a lot of passion and you wanting to literally save everything and do everything. Yeah. So how do you focus yourself? How do you, Andy, how do you focus yourself? Oh, I focus myself by finding the right people to help me focus on those things. We've got some great staff people and I, I read some great books back when I was first starting this thing up and it was all about who you put on that bus. You know what I mean? Like the people that are on that bus are the ones that are going to make the difference in it. And that's what I've been focusing on mostly. I kind of bounce like a little pinball off of things and I take care of the things that I need to take care of as the executive director. Not 100% on it. Everyone, no one's perfect, but we do the best job we can. And then 
the staffing thing is definitely the challenge. It was when we started, like I could find people that would do these jobs, nine bucks an hour. And now like it's $18 an hour is what you kind of need to pay people. Yeah, yeah. Most of it was just society. And especially up here in Traverse City, that that's kind of what makes it difficult. I'm proud of the fact that we've never missed a payroll. And I'm proud of the fact that we work really hard to try to get people paid more money. But it's difficult to do when you operate on the other side of the line in the red. Right. So God bless them for sticking around with us. And most of the people that work for us, they have this passion also. So I get some energy from them because they want to do it. And they, yeah, maybe they take a couple dollars less an hour to do it. There's limits to everyone right. in it. But yeah, I appreciate the fact that the workers all have some stake in the game. My goal is to get it to the place where we're able to pay them the right amount. I want to be the organization that pays people right. more than what the rest of them Do you averages. feel that your approach, and, and forgive me if this is too presumptuous, but your approach of trying as much as you can and being honest about what you can do and moving forward that way is the best way to succeed and to get to that end of paying people more and, and having more revenue? Yeah. I don't know. So that's a good question. That's what I hear from staff and from board is like, maybe we shouldn't try to do all of these different things and narrow it down. But then when you look at the profit and loss statement, like everything kind of makes, breaks even amount of money. You know what I mean? So like, then we have to make a decision, like, what are you going to get rid of? And what has the impact on the community? Like if we stop picking up from the rural parts of the county with our archaic, you know, pickup truck and a guy out there throwing bags of recycling into the back of a Calling trailer. archaic. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. That's the archaic way of doing it. But then what happens to that recycling? Now they have recycling services out in the county, but some of these people, they're disabled or elderly and they don't have the ability to always make it down to the recycling stations. And you have to kind of weigh it all out and see which ones are the best way. So we're kicking around different ideas of, I remember one time that our board actually did have a vote that I wasn't allowed to start any more new businesses within Bayer Recycling. So that was... Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> wow. Like, okay, uh, we're doing too much. But. Yeah. It's hard to not see a need and want to fill it. Yeah. I have a question about... Uh, I see your bins around the area uh-huh. and there's three of them, right? So you have like a compost, uh, garbage, and uh, recycling. Yes. How problematic is it when people don't understand those three bins and they just conveniently throw whatever into whatever one they feel like throwing in. You know, education is a is part of our mission too. And it's difficult to educate people, especially in these times when you have a plastic cup that's made out of PLA plastic, which is corn next to a solo cup, you know, that yeah. looks and they both look like plastic cups. And I don't think that the solution is really to educate them to the level where they can understand all of the different things that are happening right there at the bin. I think if they get pretty close to throwing the recycling and the recycling and the compost and the food waste into the compost, but that's where there needs to be that sorting level. And the recycling we pick up, it goes over to GFL. We used to try to do it by hand, but it was just became impossible with our systems of trying to do it by hand. So one more thing to point out when they did the archeological dig in Charlevoix, Uh archeologists there can pinpoint when clay production stopped with the Anishinaabe back up there for pots and whatnot, and when they figured out we're going to use copper now, just mm. better, just easier, durable, mm. move it around with us, you yeah. know, clay pots break. Yeah. It baffles me that compostable plastics today, we didn't just stop it, like the solo cup still exists. 
Yeah. Why <laughs> can we as a people not just be like, oh, well, this will break down. This never will. Yeah, I mean, plastic's made out of petroleum, and so there's lobbyists that want to keep that petroleum flowing. That's one of the reasons, I think. Switching huge systems like that takes a lot of supply and demand issues, and and I don't know if there's enough of the ability to make that PLA plastic at this point, because that's going to start to put pressures on the food industry, because now you're competing with the corn that might be used for grain. So, yeah. yeah, a lot of variables playing into it, but that's interesting. I didn't know about the Charlevoix um, oh, the channel up there when it was like dug and they, yeah. yeah. So, you know, you got to wonder back then, was there somebody lobbying for clay at the time? <laughs> yeah, there's a clay <laughs> lobby. Clay? Yeah, like, no, were... we made these pots like this for hundreds of years. Like we're going to keep doing lobby that. when the automobile was uh, invented. <laughs> yeah. There yeah. had to be somebody. The horse guys were in there. Well, we've danced around this subject a little bit, but I was first introduced to you in a resort setting. Yeah. And you were talking about... At the time, I don't even know if it was zero waste events, but now I think you're talking about zero landfill events. So I was very captivated by that. You had these products and you had these different offerings. It felt very inspiring. It's, we want to do something different. I yeah. was definitely on board and it was really easy to sell, but the reality is it can be expensive. There are things that are challenging. So are you still focusing on zero landfill events? And We are. Is that something that you want to speak to? Yeah. So zero waste events, zero landfill events, those are the ones where you do have to go out there and deal with a lot of single-use stuff. So you can kind of see where society is going right now. Europe kind of starts it, right? So they're starting to ban certain types of plastic single-use containers. And so the compostable wear is still single-use, but how else are you going to like we're going to do a beer festival down in Grand Rapids this weekend mm -hmm. for the Michigan Brewers Guild. And there's 6,000 people that are going to come there. They don't have a dishwasher to wash 6,000 beer cups. So there's going to be a need for it, I believe. And we like doing those things. Again, it goes back to composting. We're able to compost the special event waste that we're doing right now. Okay. So we still do sort through that and get it either recycled or composted. But the more support that we have to be able to get that next level of sorting and dehydration. Like if we want to take this composting thing into like the city of Traverse City, like every household has the ability to compost, like what Carter's compost is doing mm -hmm. by bike power right now. Yeah. If we wanted to expand that and get more composting to happen, you really need to have a way to dewater that material. Food waste is 80% water, 80% of the volume is from that. You reduce the amount of truckloads you have to take out and the weight of those trucks. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of different things that can happen. This but that's may be what so I'm... remedial, but incineration. Yeah. Is that industrial incinerators, personal incinerators? You see it in movies. Star Trek just has the one where you just hit the button oh, and right, it makes right. the food and the dish it comes on. <laughs> exactly. But is that a solution communities are using for waste and avoiding these landfill so there are, Detroit has incinerators and that's just straight burn. They're not trying to get energy off of it. There is a way to get a little bit of energy back off of it. Like the one in Kent County, that one is a waste energy facility. You know, you're not getting a lot of energy off of the food waste. You're not getting a lot of energy off of the other things that are inside there. It's an expensive, dirty process. And so it might have the ability to get rid of a lot of volume of material, but it might not be the right, right solution. Right. I still think like the way just sorting it out and mm -hmm. finding those right markets for it and reducing the amount of waste that we produce. 
that's a, an right. important thing. Well, the first event you did is a zero waste event was Film Fest. Is that correct? That is, yeah. And that's a pretty big festival to start with. And we've got a lot of festivals. And where are you in your focus right now in generating these? Are you proactively generating these? Are you to the point where you have people coming to you and what kind of help do you need in either awareness or anything related? Yeah, we have our website, our marketing folks at Lala does a great job of making sure those things are up to date. So the, the process, if people come to us, we direct them to our website. Mm -hmm. And if we see a big event, I mentioned Michigan Brewers Guild, Scott Graham from there, yeah. just, he's an environmentalist and wants to make sure that his events produces the least amount of waste as possible. Yeah. So I think that that's just sort of the goal and objective of the people that are doing the event. You can go and approach other places that the reason that they're doing the event isn't to like figure out how to like keep the waste stream down. Yeah. There's events that are like that too, that we might not touch. But there, there are also small events, weddings. Yeah. Even rehearsals, that was a trend I know in hospitality for a little bit. Yep. And hopefully it's still where you can even get your clothing secondhand if you want to take it that way. And that sounds like maybe a lifestyle situation at that point for your wedding, but these are things that you can do. Yeah, I think the driving factor there is when a bride and groom, they're going to get married and it's a very important day in their lives. They want to have the least amount of impact. They're thinking environmentally about global climate change or their waste stream, they come right. to us and we help them figure out. I think we did like a hundred weddings last summer. It starts in the spring, ends in the fall, but for the most part, yeah. So now is this a day that you could have dreamed of where a bride and groom, high on the priority list, dress, mm -hmm. invites, mm -hmm. how to make it as sustainable as possible. That's their goal and objective, yeah. And that's clearly happening. A hundred weddings is not a small feat. That's a, yeah, a good say, amount. Yeah, I'd say it might be like 20% of the weddings that happened around here, maybe less. And know. I've personally attended a function. It was at the Village of the Commons, at the lawn area at the Commons, that you'd done. It looked great. And I remember at the time, it was only to have generated one bag of actual, I guess what you'd call MSW, right? Yeah. Municipal solid waste. Yep. One bag. Yeah. That's, that would go to the landfill? Yeah. And is that essentially, can you quantify it that way still? Yeah. I mean, you can get it down to that in a controlled setting. If it's an event where people can bring their outside food into it, that's more difficult. You might hit a, like only 75%, you know, right. recycled composting. But if you get the control over the event, like there's a fence around, it's a, a food fest or something like that. And yeah. you're using compostable wares and everyone's on board. Yeah. We would do the wine fest up there in... Leland every year. We, I think we still do. And that right there, we would have our one bag. We'd take a picture of it. Remember, I got a picture of me standing next to Carter Osterhaus and Amy Smart. Uh -huh. Them in their tuxedo and bridal gown and me standing in between them with one bag of garbage, which was actually the, one of the very first special events that we did after Film Fest. I, I should say it was the first wedding we ever did. Really? And speaking of bragging and things that you're proud of, could you still do a 2,500-person event by yourself? That was once claimed by you. By myself. Yes. Yeah. I believe it was in somewhere. We're going to do 6,000. Um, <laughs> it, it'll just be Jordan and I. Well, but okay. That was kind of meant to be a sillier question, yeah. but you just stepped back with some truth there. So a 6,000 person event, two people? Yep. But clean up on the, the day after, we're going to have our guys come down with a truck and a trailer. So there's more people involved. And then the sorting of it, there might be people involved and- 
other businesses. That's like, still very impressive. Yeah. I'll be impressed enough for <laughs> for both of you. When you think about the different kinds of waste, and you touched on this earlier, acquiring elements that allowed you to expand on the mattresses, electronic waste. And there's the Jim Gaffigan bit about stockpiling computers. Yeah. And mostly because of photos. There's my wedding computer. There's kids. Yeah, now that you say it that way, I do have like computers at home that I only have them there because there's like pictures on them. We're there. We're doing it. And we're terrible offenders, us personally. And I apologize. But I know that there's security. That's what's going on with most people. They're worried about security. What is happening for you in electronic waste? And this is something, and many of these areas are things that we as people can take steps to do ourselves too. Absolutely. Electronic waste is one of the fastest growing waste streams still, although everything is getting smaller. You know what I mean? Like the phones are getting smaller and the computers are getting smaller. Yes. It takes less to store. Yeah. Yeah. Even the, the overall volume, TVs are smaller. The overall volume, it's still a very fast growing waste stream and very dangerous. Cadmium and lead and mercury and all of the nasty things, lithium. And so good markets for a lot of those materials. We are a collector of electronics, so we're a drop-off in the community year-round. You don't have to wait for the HHW, the Household Hazardous Waste Day. We're at uh, the the plug plug box. So we're over in Chubb's Corner right next to the ball field, over at Turtle Creek ball field. And um, yeah, people come in and drop off electronics, wires and things like that. And talking about the business side of it, our model is that we charge a little bit for everything, Mm -hmm. but that is what it takes to cover those salaries of people to keep the whole ball moving down the road, you know? Right. I don't know why you have a ball going down the road, though. Sorry. I, well, I, I, I mix my cliches up sometimes, you know. A lot of ball bearings. Have yeah. a ball going down, yeah. I think, intrinsically a ball. I kept saying, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. And I found out later on that that was actually two yeah, different. Yeah, you'll cross the bridge. Oh, yeah, we cross. Then we burn it. <laughs> Burning the yeah. bridge is a terrible model. <laughs> you might need to get back. That's While well, you're somebody who likes to do things the hard way, <laughs> you're going to burn the bridge first, yeah. figure out how to cross it, burn it second. <laughs> and, and that's repurposing. It is. Maybe it is, is what's Maybe happening. Maybe don't burn it, it Sounds all. like CrossFit. It's, <laughs> it's speaking of repurposing, something that's really fascinating, and I just I kind of wanted to tease your interest in talking about it, is the tiny home piece. And yeah. this, when you think about reclamation and bringing things full circle, there was a 9 and 10 news story with a local realtor about the term upcycling and was really doing a project and reclaiming a home. And it was interesting to see that to see somebody really doing this. Yeah. So how did you conceive of this? And is it as difficult as it sounds? It's not difficult at all. It's a lot of fun. Again, there's nothing that Bark does that doesn't require grit and hard work. And it's definitely one of those things for sure. So we talked a little bit about my dad and construction. Being from that field and getting my degree in construction management and working in that industry, I always thought we'd wind up. And I love the fact that we mashed recycling and buildings together. To me, we started just before COVID, what we call de-reconstruction. So we deconstruct things, then we reconstruct them into things. That brought a little bit of energy back to me where I was needing to get some movement again after COVID. But I just love it. I like tearing things apart. We work with Youth Works here in Traverse City yeah. through Child and Family Services. Oh, that's awesome. And yeah, and they're the ones that do a lot of the, the hard work of taking the drywall off. But we'll take a building. We'll go in there. A lot of times the building's furnished. We just bid on one here on 10th Street. We hope we get, and we take everything out of it and it goes down to our resale store that's in Calava. So the light fixtures, 
the microwave oven that still works, all the refrigerator, you know, all that stuff we put back into resale. And then YouthWorks comes in there and deconstructs all the drywall off of the walls and pulls all of the electrical wires out of it and recycles it. And then all the plumbing and HVAC and the siding off of it, which goes off to resale. And then we were left with a rough framed house. So you're reverse engineering this whole thing. And that's an interesting thing in itself because some of these houses are hundred years old. Some of them are 20 years old, these buildings. And so you get to see like kind of how the construction practice right. goes and how they built things and how many layers some of these things are. Are you finding often that they don't build them like they used to in a good way? I think our codes have gotten stronger and, and the builders have gotten smarter about how to build things and the materials have definitely gotten better. Right. So I think our construction these days is probably better than it was. Interesting. Yeah. Fascinating I mean, side result of, yeah. of that kind of journey. Yeah, I'd say that we're doing a pretty good job. We're building things, all regions in the U.S. are considered seismic right. now. And so an old house, a hundred year old house might have balloon framed walls and stuff you don't see anymore. Like a 26 foot two by four, like you couldn't, <laughs> they don't make those anymore. Right, right. You know, or a one by 18 for siding. Just incredible. I think people are going to want to know yeah. what's the policy of finding the menu from the Titanic. Yeah. $100,000 and rare bills in a wall. We're always looking for the bag of gold and that'd the, be a and good the crawl thing. space. That'd be yeah. a good infusion yeah. for Bark. <laughs> yeah. that'd, be, that'd be a win. Yeah. How did you get there? Well, <laughs> yeah. gold in a house. How did you get the Lamborghini? So no time capsules yet, though. No time capsules. You there, know, There's one in my house. There, there are some, actually. Uh, is is there? there? Yeah, when we, when, we redid the, when we redid the basement, my son wrote a letter that said, hey, I'm Ontario Wilson, born February 7th, 2007, in this house. Cool. Here's a newspaper from today and a few other things. Oh you know, we gosh. just find our um, <laughs> homes that were built between the you know, early 1900s before uh, old, World War II. Old newspapers. Or, old newspapers, yeah. yep. One house had Chicago Fire oh, paper. wow. But you see a lot of liquor bottles up. And this was, I guess, the way it used to be when the bricklayers, they would leave a liquor bottle up on the plate uh-huh. you know, before they put the drywall or the lath and plaster in. Right. So a lot of houses have a couple of liquor bottles. Is and that, then That's why? Yep. It's sort of like a little time capsule, like we were here yeah. type of thing. You, and, and then <laughs> and hammers. We, like, wow. And we drank on the job. There's yeah. always, <laughs> that's where I was going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's why construction practice has gotten a little right, bit better. Right, right. You know, now you, you can't drink on the job. But yeah, hammers and tools that were left behind. And so there's some interesting stuff out there. But we've never seen the time capsule. Yeah. Mark. That's pretty cool. A very compelling part of this whole story as it relates to you is Nine Bean Rose. They have this public call for housing relating to staffing. And this is huge, huge issues here. Yeah. And this kind of concept looks like it could handle at least helping two serious challenges we have, which is housing and housing and housing and housing. Yeah. And then affordable housing. Yeah. Affordable housing, temporary housing and seasonal housing and those types of things. And so one of the things we were talking about Sarna from Seeds and she was awesome. She introduced me to an architect EcoFi is the name of the company, and Jess Glowacki is the yeah, architect. Yeah, Do you know absolutely. Jess? I went to school with him. Yeah, oh, he's a great, you? great dude. Amazing designer, very green-minded, looking for those solutions. And so when he and I met, when we were just getting started into the DRE program and taking buildings apart, and I like to do what I call reverse panelization, where you chop a building up into things that we can fit on our trailer. So eight foot wide, 24 foot long roof trusses. And not only do you get to save the lumber, but you save all that energy it took and all the nails that it took to put those things together. And then we pull them apart. We just did a house with a very nice lady here in town named Candace Ramey. 
and we moved the house. It used to belong to Thunder Dan Marley, or yeah. his parents. I think he bought it for his parents when he went to the Phoenix Suns. And it was this house over on Hammond Road, and we transported it all the way up to Leelanau County, and Candace had some property, wanted a house on it, and we were able to get that house up there and in 22 pieces, I think it was. Put it all back together, stitched it back together, had a great engineer, local guy named Jason Toner, which was, I'm sure, the weirdest thing he engineered this year. <laughs> <laughs> But it's like, yeah, we're going to rebuild the house and helped us, you know, figure out the bracing and the things like that that needed to make it so it, it met code. Well, not to be too sentimental, but we're dancing around that is this upcycling concept is a way maybe for people to hold on to something of a loved one, grandparents' yeah. house. Maybe you can't relocate it, like you said. Maybe you can't do, but you can do something with it. It's just a, a different way than selling it to somebody and having it leveled and become a 7-Eleven. Yeah, exactly. And not go to the landfill. That's important. I think I was down at the MFBI, the Michigan Forest Products Conference that they had down in Lansing. Mm -hmm. And the state of Michigan, we consume about a billion board feet of lumber for new construction. And we landfill about a billion board feet of material from demolition. So there's a billion board feet that we're using, a billion board feet that we're disposing of. And so the goal is to get that out of there. And again, meshing it together with my background of construction is awesome. But I really just like chunking out houses. We did one for um, DC and Jody Hayden up there who have the grocer's daughter of chocolate. And you'll see when you go up there, they took the, the land where we had the property, where the old hardware store was, and we took a chunk of it and just moved it off to the side. And then they moved it back on and rebuilding it into like a little educational center. So those are the cool things. And trying to like connect that mission of de-reconstruction, but connect it to something like the affordable housing. Yeah. We just met with Larry Mobby and talked to him about his land trust that he has. And he, he's developing a way to have land that's there specifically in Linnaw County for right. affordable housing. So we haven't found our spot yet. So we're, we're still searching for that. Do you feel like we are not yet near enough of a critical mass for this to be a big enough issue for it to give you enough resources to make a bigger impact? Oh, I think we hit critical mass when it comes to affordable housing years ago. But you know what I mean? Yeah, no. It's, it's we're talking about it. Yep. We're talking about it. Yep. Tiny homes are popping up here and there, not getting a lot of traction. And then it's more about homes used for Airbnbs and this conversation. Yep. But something like what you're doing seems like it should be able to make big enough noise where somebody should be like, all right, this we, makes a lot of sense. We just What's need happening? one billionaire to get behind us, give us a just safety one. net. Yep, just just one. only one. Just one. We'll take multiple billionaires. <laughs> okay, you wouldn't yeah. toss that one out the door? No, if no, billionaires. They're, there's not, they're few and far between. You know, you got to try to recycle as many billionaires as you can these well, days. You, in, you know, just thinking and reflecting on the conversation, it's a huge enterprise, what you're undertaking and what yeah. you are undertaking. What is something about your day that would surprise people to hear? Something about my day that would surprise people. And during COVID, I really enjoyed COVID because it felt like it was a, so going off subject here a little bit, but sure, please. recycling for charities, 15 years old, about 10 years into it, we got an embezzlement thing that happened with us with one of our employees and it almost sank us. And then we moved down to Calava and we had a building down there that caught fire in 2018. So it felt like multiple disasters. And we're very resilient as an organization. That's one thing Clearly. I have to say about the workers. Yeah. We, we're pretty resilient. We bounce back. We're like that. What's the uh, abominable snowman guy that is in the cartoon where he bounces back? Yeah. So the Yeti. 
So when, yeah. when COVID hit, it was like, this is nice. Like, here's a disaster that everyone's going to enjoy. You know what I mean? And it wasn't just a Bay Area Recycling for Charities thing happening. So I kind of enjoyed it because we were able to disconnect a little bit from the day-to-day and reconnect with some nature is what I did. So I think what would surprise people is that I kind of found my philosophy of Taoism inside there in that moment. I've always had that philosophy, I think, but I was able to embrace it. And I go up and I do a bow staff exercise with a wooden stick in the woods and spin it around and and it gave me energy. And I'm not an exercise kind of guy where I go to the gym and lift the weights or run, you know what I mean? Like you're repurposing houses and, you know. Yeah, there's definitely some exercise involved in that. Yeah. (laughs) And some pulled muscles and probably a rotator cuff or two. Well, when you think about your, your pursuit of this, your journey along this way, you've had a lot of inspiration. Was there any advice along the way that at the time sounded insane, but since has come true or been relevant to you? Yeah, absolutely. Along the way, in in a lot of different ways, positive and negative things. I think the guy that told me early on, like, this will never work, he was a lot closer to that than I was, (laughs) saying, oh, no, like, I'm Irish-German, you know what I mean? So it's like, we're either going to drink together and then fight, or we're going to fight first and then drink together. So (laughs) I'm stubborn and really uh, hard-headed. And so if someone tells me, like, this will never work, I'm like, oh, that's all I needed to hear. But I think the words were like, there's no money in recycling. Like, you're going to really struggle with this. And and that was advice that was given early on that I disregarded. And I'm glad I did. We wouldn't be here today talking about it if I would have just sidestepped that and gone in and did something else. But it is a struggle. Running an organization is a, is a struggle. But there's lots of great advice. I can't remember if we talked about it right before, but there was this nice old man that um, supported our organization in some tough times named Arno von Walthausen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He gave me some sage advice that was, you know, Andy, I can't do his accent or, or, <laughs> or, or, or give, Where it, is he from? give it the justice. I'm going to say that sounds like a German guy. Right, right, yeah, right. Okay. Von Walthausen. Yeah. He, he lived in Traverse City and, and his son and I are friends and he would always support, and he, just an amazing person by himself. I could go into all kinds of details about him, but he gave me some advice that said, this world doesn't necessarily need anyone to shove it in one direction or another. What it needs is just a gentle nudge in the right direction. And I guess that's just probably the best advice you can hear because when you're trying to recycle things and change the world in that way, you can get eco-anxious, I call it, eco-anxiety. So imagine you're starting a nonprofit recycling organization and you're putting your shoulder into it for five years and you just see garbage trucks driving past you and like, what the hell am I doing? Like, is this even making a difference? Like, we probably only recycle maybe 5 or 10% of what this community creates as a waste stream. And so that can take a lot of wind out of your sail if you look at it from that perspective. But the sage advice of Arno von Walthausen has wow. always stayed in my mind that you don't have to change the world as long as you push it in the right direction. Yeah. There will be someone else there to push with you down the wow, road. That's wonderful advice. And yeah. that w- that's reasonable advice, I think, because it's fascinating to find out from people the things that sounded nuts but have come true, but it's also good to know that sound advice yeah. came along the way also. Yeah. And that's really the kind of advice that you know anyone really needs is the stuff that just kind of keeps your right. energy up so you can keep doing the things you do. Well, looking back, are you glad you decided to be the guy <laughs> and ask yeah. the fairly informative person, well, 
there's not a market for this. And would you do anything different along the way? Well, I'd do a million things different. But as far as it goes, I've got no regrets for doing it. Took a pay cut and stressed out my family and my didn't have all the time I wanted to have with my kids. So there's sacrifice inside there for sure. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I feel like my family's stronger for it. My kids see it's not all about making money and trying to like compete with the Joneses and achieve this and have that. On so many levels, I feel like this was the right thing to do. And I that's what gives me the energy to keep going. Yeah. There will be a day though where I'll step away from it. And I think one of the things when I first started this, because legacy is, is an important thing, right? We have, we want to have legacy. We want to have something that carries on beyond our life here on this planet. And so legacy for a lot of people is money. You know, you put a, a bunch of money in the bank and then your legacy is that, and maybe you can use it philanthropically and you can help organizations, or maybe it's something that your family just creates the wealth and stuff like that. This is what I intentionally did as my legacy was to just be out there, try to get this thing flowing in the right direction. And then someday I'll step away from it. And I just hope at hundred years from now that there's a bark truck coming up your, yeah. or maybe a, a bark flying car. It'd have to be close to Landing that. on, yeah. <laughs> and like you said, you hope to be irrelevant and that would be your version of it. Yeah. In a way is to not be needed. And what's really remarkable is that the website has so many resources. So this is something that you are doing on a broader scale, but you're also enabling all of us to take up the crusade. Thank you for saying that. Well, I mean, if you you just have to look at the website because that board who's talking about getting into the black, yeah. there's a whole lot of free stuff that yeah. advice, articles, how to compost. Yeah. I mean, it, there's so much on there that they could be saying you should charge just to go on to mybark.org. Oh, that's a brilliant idea. I'm going to bring that up at the just, next, you know, next meeting. Just, you know, a dollar? <laughs> you know, uh, Wikipedia always tries or to we'll do it. Or we'll just give you a know, teaser, you, know? you know, like we'll give them one blog article or something like that. <laughs> I, but it, in all honesty, there's so much there. So is that the best way to support, to potentially donate, to even volunteer? What's the best way to support Absolutely. And get, to, get awareness? You just, you just named it. Yeah. There's a donate button on the mybark.org website. There's a place to fill out information for if you can come in and volunteer that's a great way to support not just this organization but any nonprofit that's doing good work around here so volunteerism and because we kind of built this thing up like a business in such a way where we have revenue streams that come from people dropping off recycling or buying compostable wares or using our services so that's a, a way to support too when people find those things and if it benefits them to have us at their event for instance you know picking up the garbage. That's great. But however you can do it. Yeah. It's been a ride. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us and for talking with thank us you. today. Is there uh, anything that we may have missed as far as information sharing, anything that you'd want people to know and anything upcoming? Not really, but we are going to have an expo down in Calv. I think it's in May. You can check out our website. We're not super intrusive with our newsletter. It's a once a month newsletter. Yeah. But go to the website and sign up for the newsletter. And then every month you'll just see like what's happening next and where we are looking for volunteers. A lot of times awesome. where we're looking for volunteers is to pour beer at a beer festival, like the Empire Asparagus Festival. So <laughs> it's not really too hard to work. And, and yes. the ratio is one beer for them, one beer for you. And, and Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. And again, I, I know you're really good to volunteers and 
you tend to give them the easy job so they want to come back. Yeah. Yeah. There's some things we so I think that's a good strategy. Yeah. I I'm think not, that we is. haven't had a lot of volunteers wanting to go composting with us, but <laughs> <laughs> but you're open to it. Open to it. Beautiful. Well, Andy, thank you so much for your pursuits and to all of those who pursue along with you, ensuring a more sustainable community and quite frankly, a better earth. Thanks thank for you. being our guest. Yeah, thank you guys. Really appreciate that. Our pleasure. And to all of our listeners, thank you all for listening and thank you for pursuing the positive. And there we have it, listeners. Another episode of the Pursuit of Podcast, the Pursuit of Bay Area Recycling for Community. I want to express my appreciation to Andy Gale for taking the time to join us on our show. Andy's knowledge and expertise in sustainability and recycling were truly insightful and educational, and I know we will all benefit greatly from his contributions. For those who would like to learn more about Bay Area Recycling for Community, go to mybark, M-Y-B-A-R-C dot org. And as always, for all things audio, video, podcast, production related, check us out at newleonard.com.